Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Let's jump right in. So everybody turn with me to Acts 2. Hey, this morning, we're, the, the, the moment is not missed. And, and I think it's appropriate to, not that we plan, we didn't plan it this way. We looked from the fall, we knew to this moment in time. I said, Eric, pick a date <clears throat> that works for your family. And, and there was an intentionality. I think God was moving things around. But, but today, as we set Eric in place, we recognize that it's also, we're celebrating Martin Luther King, or we're celebrating, um, you know, the work that he did for, against racial injustice and trying to unite uh, not only the country, but the church. And so, uh, as Eric was said in here, it's not lost by any means that, you know, God's diversity is continuing to be expressed here at Tree of Life Church, um, not just in the body here, but in the leadership and the staff. And so we're excited to have him a part of it. And so, you know, as we look ahead to the march tomorrow at 10 o'clock, and again, I hope everybody can come out, but, but the fact that we're honored and blessed to, to be a church of such diversity um, means there's some responsibility. And so I think it's important for us to talk about that this morning and what that looks like here at Tree of Life and really how honored we are. And let me just say this, and I I shared this a year ago at this time, um, really the fact that we celebrate that we're here on I-35, we have 54 acres right on one of the busiest highways in the state of Texas. We're looking about, look at the campus he's given us, look at the possibilities that come with that, look at the exposure he got. But you know what I think God was doing also in that? He was putting us in a place because I believe he has a call on Tree of Life to bring people from all races, all colors, all backgrounds, all cultures to one place to glorify him in Jesus' name. Amen. Because the truth is, when Tree Life started in 1981, um, there was about 28 or 29,000 people in New Braunfels, and there wasn't a, a big diversity uh, here of races. There, there was very few African Americans. Now, that's growing as the community grows. Uh, some Hispanics, and, and even New Braunfels at that time was a bit segregated. Many of you sitting in here probably went to a segregated school where they segregated even Hispanics here in New Braunfels or in the San Antonio area. And But look, here we are so many years later, and look what God is doing. And so I believe God has placed his hand in a call not that we're any better than anybody else. It's just who we're called to be, our expression of diversity. Now, I'm not, I understand that not every church can be diverse because they're not necessarily in a diverse location. And I think, but by God moving us out to 35, we have so much diversity coming from the outlying communities. We have the military uh, presence that's here, and a lot of them will come here, which creates this environment that I absolutely love. And to be honest with you, I'm so humbled, and I thought that I could be the pastor of a diverse congregation. I'm like, why are all these diverse people coming? Because I'm as white as can be. I just, I mean, if I was any whiter, I'd be see-through. I don't know how that, I got to put sunscreen on to go to the mailbox. I'm just like, what is I don't know that I'm white or red or what, but um, <laughs> I, thought, I thought, you know, I don't know what it's like to be an African-American man. I don't know what it's like to be a Hispanic man. And I said this this morning. I said, I know what it's like to pray like an African-American. I mean, if you've been in a prayer service with me, come on, somebody. We're bringing the glory down. Come on, Jesus. Not today, devil. Come on. I know. Saturdays. Come on. Everybody been here on Saturdays, man. We're, we go for it on Saturdays, right? I know, I know how to pray with that, that passion and stuff. I don't, I don't know what it's like to be uh, Hispanic, but, but I, I know what it's like to pray that way. I mean, when I pray, I pray faster than I talk. I mean, it says, like, in Jesus' name, we're going to go and have victory. We're not going to turn back. We're going to turn the devil back in Jesus' name. And we're going to have, and very hand, talk my hand. And no, devil, you're not having any place here today. And you're going to leave. And you're going to go, devil, in Jesus' name. In the nombre de Jesus, yo resucite. I learned by the songs on the screen. I'm just going to tell, yo, resuscite, devil. Yo, resuscite, right? All right? So, and I don't, I don't, I, I, 
Man, I just feel like when I pray, like I'm a big melting pot. I don't know what that is, but uh, the, the truth and all that is funny. It's like we're, we're never uh, more diverse, if you will, than when we're closer to God, right? It's just like something about just being close to God creates an openness and a love for everybody, and we just all believe the best and walk in what God has. And so I believe the best is ahead for us. I believe as we enter a new year, as we enter a new decade, I believe our church is to be marked by God with these two things, revival and reconciliation. And I think it's important, I'm going to teach about that for a minute, and I'll probably go just a a little bit long, so give me some time, um, because I want to get this out. This is a vision casting message as well, as I really feel God has this mandate on us for this year, and it's to mark who we are. Because we're not diverse just to say we're diverse. There's a purpose behind it. There's a responsibility that comes with it. In fact, I think one of the things that we need to look at today, one of the greatest hindrances to unity today is, um, I would say, racism and religion. And I think the devil uses those things to divide. And I believe that those things in some regard go hand in hand. And if you look, as we're celebrating Dr. King today, uh, so many wonderful things to say about him. And I've listened, and I've read, I've done things, I've thought about clips and all that. And we know that he has said, and maybe you don't, but he said that Sunday, 11 a.m. is the most segregated time of the week in America because our churches seem, 85% of churches are segregated, only 15% are truly integrated. Now, again, I know there's people that aren't in diverse areas. I get that. And what can you do with that? But we are, and we can be. And so I, I think about that all the time, and I want to be who God wants us to be. And then, and then I think about the time that Dr. Martin Luther King, honestly, in this moment in time, that uh, back in the early 60s when, when he was helping start this movement and bring attention to the injustice of it, I read this letter that he wrote. Um, actually, his movement in Birmingham, um, a newspaper article came out, an editorial where eight white pastors came out and attacked what he did or how he was leading his protests. And I thought eight white pastors came out against what he was doing. They came out against it. And Dr. King responded in jail by, by writing a, a letter in the Birmingham jail. And I read the letter, and, and one piece in particular stood out to me. He said in this letter, as he responded so wonderfully and eloquently to it, he said that the biggest danger, the biggest hindrance rather, the biggest enemy of unity and the churches coming together is not the radical whites, it's not the Ku Klux Klan and the other organizations that are against that, it is the white moderate church. And that was very sobering to me. And I thought, I thought, how did the church miss the opportunity to join together in unity as one people united under one God in the love of Jesus and, and change, uh, change the, the course and direction of our country and, and needless to say, or doesn't need to say unnecessarily whatever, but, the, but the, the church missed a moment. Can I say it that way? Let me just say it that way. The church missed a moment. I don't want to miss a moment. I don't want this church to miss its moment or the moment God, I believe now, is creating in our culture. And let me, let me say this. Why do I think he's doing that? Well, I sense it in my spirit, but I can just look around in the news. When things become the bleakest, that's when the opportunity is for them to turn. And we have never been in my lifetime more divided as a country than we currently are. And I think there's a generation coming to make a change. Because when there's racism and religion, I believe revival and reconciliation are right behind it. And we get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of that. And that's what I believe. Now, revival simply means this. It's an awakening to God. It is an awakening to God. And it's awakening God's heart, uh, people, rather, awakening people's hearts to God. And, and I believe that revival starts with the church. I mean, I think we pray for revival like there's this sweeping uh, salvations happening all over and all over the world. That's a result of the church waking up. 
So I, reveal, I believe revival starts with the church and the result is the church reached the people as they should. And so I believe we're right on the cusp of a revival, an awakening to God. And revival, again, doesn't start in the world. It starts with the church. And it starts with people that have some understanding about God, but have grown complacent, grown apathetic to the things around about. Maybe have grown lazy. In fact, the Bible says the closer we get to the end times, more people will fall away from the church because they've been complacent or ap- uh, apathetic and miss what God is trying to do in them and through them. It's possible that you can be here today and need to be awakened. Both ways. I see some of you nodding off. <laughs> it's okay. That's why we got coffee. But you need, we need to be awakened because we can get into a routine. We can get it just going. We're not just go to church. We're to be the church. We're to be who God's called us to be. And not just in these four walls, but especially outside these four walls. And so we, we, we pray for we want an awakening. God wants to awaken the church. And when you see an awakening, when you see an awakening, you see a revival in the Bible, it always is tied with reconciliation. In fact, when you look at the New Testament, the New Testament, first New Testament revival started in the book of Acts. Before the first New Testament church was formed, you see a revival breakout or an awakening. Let's take a look at Acts 2, 1 through 12 in the New Living Translation. It says this in verse 1, Acts 2, 1. It says, on the day of Pentecost, which was a, a feast celebrating the Passover, everybody's in town for the Passover, all the believers were meeting together in one place. All of them were meeting in one place, praying, seeking God. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. You can see the outpouring of the power of the Holy Spirit. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit began speaking in other languages as the Spirit gave them this ability. At that time there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered uh, to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, croutons and Arabs. <laughs> I don't know. I'm on fasting, and everything just is food to me. Okay, croutons, Cretans, I don't know. One more week, hang in there, one more week. And, all, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there, were amazed, were amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. And what I love about this passage of scripture, when you read this, you ask, why is it that all these cultures, all these nations were gathered together when this happened? Why is it when God initially pours out his Holy Spirit and power, he waits for a specific moment in time when all nations happen to be gathered together in Jerusalem for Passover, a feast remembering deliverance from Israel. All were gathered there in their groups, in their homes, with their people groups, with their cultures, with their languages, separated apart. Then the Holy Spirit fell as they all came together and they hear things in their own languages. Why did that happen? I believe God uses the supernatural to break through barriers and walls that people and churches have created. You cannot compartmentalize or argue away the supernatural for all people. No matter what you feel about your culture, your race, your language, your group of people, God says, I want to empower everybody. And he uses the supernatural to break down the walls and barriers. Here's the thing. The greatest critic to the outpouring of God's power is the church. The church even wants to take a supernatural experience and divide it and claim it bits and pieces for their own. 
and build walls and barriers. And it's, it's hard to swallow when you're talking about, we're a church here, but you know what? The church in history, a lot of times, has contributed to segregation, not to integration. And we've taken these times and these moments, and here's, what, here's my question to you, and here's what I ponder. Is it an outpouring of God's spirit because everybody was there from cultures and everybody was there uh, from different people and races and groups, or, or did God pour out his spirit because everybody was there? What brought it? Is it that moment that the pouring of God's spirit was because so many diverse people were there, or was the pouring of God's spirit into that moment of diversity? I don't know. What? I don't know if, if and here's, here's what I think. Can there be, are we setting ourselves up for a great outpouring of God's spirit because we have so much diversity coming together? Is that what God's looking for? Is God looking for diversity of people to come together in unity to release his power? Or is he releasing his power so people can come together in unity? And I would say yes and yes. Yes and yes. His power is released to break down barriers and walls that have been created, and his power is released when people come united. There's just something to me that says, if my wife and I are united, we are two individuals, we got married, the Bible says the two have become one. My family, my daughters and I, when we come together and we become one, there's great power released when people come together with the diversity of cultures and background and experiences, come together as one, there's great power released. Can I tell you, Tree of Life, I believe that this church is to be marked with revival and reconciliation in this next year, in this next decade, because we are coming together in our diversity as one, united. I believe that. I believe his power will come to create that moment. I believe his power will come because we're in that moment. And that's what I believe God has for us. Why is it when God initially pours out his Holy Spirit, he waits for a specific moment when people are gathered from all over? And the natural thing would be because they can take it back to their own people group. Yeah, absolutely. But maybe there's just something more when people come together in unity despite their diversity. And I love that picture there. Do you realize that that is the establishment of the church? I don't know how you feel about diversity in church or whatever. Maybe if you're here for the first time, here's what it is. If you come back, then you obviously you like it. But can I tell you the model, the New Testament model, we want to be like a New Testament church. How come we're not having tongues and interpretation? We want to be like the New Testament church. How come people aren't being slain in spirit and running the aisles? And I'm all for all that. Hey, don't get me wrong and all that. But you know what marks the New Testament church is diversity. Can I tell you the model was the very first church was as diverse as it could possibly be on the planet at that time. There couldn't have possibly been any more diversity as said people from all nations were gathered. That's the model. And I understand, again, some people have church in places that there isn't diversity. I get that. And that's not, that you have to reflect the place that you're in. But listen, we have an opportunity here because where God has put us and what God has called us to do. I believe God used the supernatural to break through religious barriers of the Jews in that moment in time. And one of the enemies of the supernatural is religion. Religion separates at times the Holy Spirit unites. So racism and religion become enemies to revival and reconciliation. And so God pours out his spirit to begin to break down those walls. One people, one God, in power and in unity. Look at what Peter uh, said in his response to the question they asked in Acts 2, 17 through 21. It says this, in the last day, God says, I'll pour out my spirit upon all people. Say all. 
all, it's funny, his spirit is for all people. Or why are we dividing then things and saying only can have this or have that? Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I'll pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above the signs and above and signs on the earth below, blood, fire, smoke, clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day the Lord arrives. But everyone, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone will be saved. You know what's interesting about that scripture? In between, he's going to pour out on all people and everyone will be saved. He says there's signs and wonders that are going to happen as the day gets closer. He says there's going to be, the sun will become dark. Do you know that not long ago we had a solar eclipse where the sun became dark? He said, you saw in that scripture, he said, signs, wonders in the heavens and on the earth. In the heavens, there'll be, the moon will turn blood red. Do you realize between 2015 and 2017, we had four blood red moons that coincided with Jewish feasts? The only reason I say that is because it's getting closer to his return. And because it's getting closer to his return, we cannot waste any more time. We need to be a church of revival and reconciliation. So God's power can be poured out in a greater measure and capacity on this earth so that all, say all, all can be saved. And it comes from revival and reconciliation when the church comes in unity and one accord. And the times are getting closer. Times are getting closer. So are you ready? Are you ready for some revival and reconciliation? Are you ready to be that church and to be marked not as a church corporately, but as a, as a person individually? So revival is not when the world starts turning to God. It's when the church turns back to God and starts winning the world. Now, when you read about revivals in the scripture, you look in the Old Testament, you'll see seven times when you see a revival or a turning back to God, which means there was a turning away from. Seven times they turned away from God, they turned back to God. And before the revival took place, four things happened before revival happens. Four things that happen before revival. Uh, number one is that people forgot God. And you see that all through scripture, the children of Israel, even though God's doing amazing things, they eventually forget him and they move on. Uh, people forgot God's laws. They no longer chose to live by God's moral code. They wanted to have their own code and live a way that would justify what they wanted to do. You also see people made up new gods. So they begin to take on the gods of the world and gods of other people. And you also see people made up new laws because if you're going to make up new gods, you got to make up new laws to justify you following and serving them. Does that not sound like the world we live in today? People forget God. People forget God's laws. They find new gods and they make up new laws. And, and, and those things aren't even following. There's things that now are in law that we never would have thought would have happened. So what we say is we're right on the brink of revival and reconciliation. And this church needs to be ready to move with God as God moves. And so we look at all that and those were the precursors to revival. And it also became a part of reconciliation. That sounds like the time we live in today. I also think this, I also think that what brings revival is when you have a generation that is, that is serving God and then you have a generation that has done these things, forgot God, forgot God's laws, followed new gods, made new laws, and then they've forgotten God, if you will, and then that next generation comes and brings a revival again. I think that what we saw in like in the 40s and 50s, I don't know, my grandparents and stuff, they knew what it was to walk with God. 
I mean, there was never another activity on Wednesday night. That was church night. You didn't do anything on Sunday but go to church. You didn't have all these other things. And there, there was just a sense of greater moral code. There was a sense of uh, just more an awareness of God. And then we hit the 60s and 70s. And some of you that are children of those days, you know where things went from there, right? You had this new age movement and this humanism and, and, and atheists and agnostics and all this stuff. All of a sudden, people were questioning God. The Beatles were on the cover of Time saying there is no God, right? And all of a sudden, there's a shift or a change and people are doing it exactly what these four things were. I think in the 40, 40, 50 years to follow, we see the result of that. But I think it's important for you and I to recognize that everything's cyclical and now we're at a place where we can see that turn now. And I believe that's why it's so important to invest in our kids and our young people because they're the generation that's going to come when the generation before them has forgotten about God. They're the ones that are going to come and usher in revival and reconciliation. Always that way in the Bible. They follow God, they fall away. They follow God, they fall away. We are poised for a follow God generation of movement marked by revival and reconciliation. And we get to be a part of that. I love that idea. And let me give you an example about um, that, how that looks. The, the book of Acts, we just saw the outpouring with uh, such a diversity gather, gathered in that place, the revival and reconciliation happening. Um, we've seen that in our country, in America. And I don't know that you know church history, but uh, going back a little bit of an example here, what it looks like in modern days or in our past, there wasn't a whole lot of outpourings of God's power and presence in our, in our country until 1905. And 1905 was one of the major outpourings, uh, the Azusa Street Revival. 1905, there was a young African-American man. He was blind in one eye, uh, just a man that was attending a church. And all of a sudden, the pastor that was preacher, uh, the preaching had talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit was speaking in tongues, and it really stuck with him. He thought, wow, I want to learn more about this. There's something to this. And so he began to study and began to speak on it. Uh, a young lady from an African-American church in California came to Houston, Texas, and heard him speak, William Seymour, heard William Seymour speak, and then all of a sudden went back to California and said, we need to have this young man come and speak in our church here in California. He's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The pastor there at the African-American church invited William Seymour, and he came, and the first night he began to speak about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they left the meeting. He came back the next night, and the doors were padlocked. They were chained. He could not come in. And the pastor said, we don't want that teaching here. You need to take that somewhere else. And so this young African-American man, uh, some people still wanted to hear what he had to say. They went to a house down the street and then began the meetings. And as he began to preach and minister on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he wasn't even walking in the full expression of it at that point in time. But the power of God fell as people gathered together. And people were filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, signs, wonders, and miracles happened. People were being slain on the floor. Uh, people were blind eyes were being opened. And every night, people would gather together and God would do the miraculous. And it lasted from 1906 to about 1915, every night there was revivals and people getting saved and people getting healed. But what marked it, and I read the article, I went back and researched, I read the article from the Los Angeles Times, what marked it is the diversity of the people that attended it. Because as the spirit began to pour out, it wasn't just the African Americans, which is where it started. It began to talk about the whites would come, the Latinos would come, the Asians would come, and then it began to grow, and then people from other countries would come. In fact, the article itself would say that people from other countries were coming, not speaking English, they were speaking in their language, but because of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, they heard, the people heard them in their own language, much like the book of Acts. 
But what it was marked by, this outpouring of God, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the United States of America started with an African-American man and an African-American church, but it brought in the whites, the, the Latinos, the, the Asians, the people from all over. It was a national movement and an international movement, but it started right there and it became one of diversity. It's amazing to me. In fact, it even says that, and this is funny how it was saying, that even women were getting filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, right? And we, so my mom's here. Yeah. And, uh, and so, and then what happened was then women would stand up and preach, which was frowned on and they would stand up and preach. And this is 14 years before they even had the right to vote. And God was moving. It didn't matter how rich, how poor and how old, how young, male, female, black, white, brown, yellow. It did not matter. The move was being poured out on this group of diversity. But you know who came against it? The media did saying it was just a bunch of fanatics, but the church came against it. In fact, a lot of pastors would, would hear about this and they would go be skeptical and they would go out on their own and they would look and see. But what happened to those that would go out there, these pastors from all over the country would go skeptical and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit would overwhelm them and, and fill them up and they'd go back to their churches and they'd go back. I can't preach the same as I preached before. They'd go back to their Baptist church and it would be Bapticostal. <laughs> Changed it. <laughs> and even the gentleman who had spoken the message about the baptism of the Holy Spirit that William Seymour had heard came out against the movement because he saw a picture in the paper of an African-American man that was an usher holding up someone who the power of the Holy Spirit fell on, a white woman, and he said, that should not be. They should not be in church together. And so immediately you see religion come in and create barriers again. And you see out of that movement, other churches and things begin and it begins to segregate again. And I believe we're at that place now that I think that God is bringing revival and reconciliation again. Amen? We're not going to miss it this time. We're not going to miss it. We're not going to miss the move or the moment. We're going to go forward in revival and reconciliation. It's time for the church, and we're raising up a generation. Amen? Raising up a generation to do that. Now God is doing a new thing. Let me give you a Real quick, why reconciliation is so important. Why this reconciliation? Why are we talking about all this is important? Let me give you four things. Number one, it's a priority of the cross. Uh, the cross was for our salvation. The cross was for our healing. The cross was for reconciliation. In fact, let's take a look at the scripture here in Ephesians 2, uh, what it says in 14 through 18. Here's what it says. For he himself, uh, he himself is our peace. He who has made the two groups one, he's talking about Jews and Gentiles. They followed Jesus, but they followed him separately. They had their own services. They didn't intermix or intermingle. He has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God, bring them together in harmony through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Reconciliation is a priority of the cross. It says, he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. Let me say it this way. He preached peace to the locals and peace to the immigrants. Let me say it this way. He preached peace to the legals and the illegals. Come on. All right. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Reconciliation is a priority of the cross. Uh, 
Reconciliation is important because it's a priority of the commission, the great commission. The last words of Jesus, we see that here in um, Acts 1.8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and outpouring of power. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. Okay, we get that. That's where we live. And in Judea, hold on a second, Samaria. Oh, no way. And to the end of the earth. And I, I think it was a shocker to the people listening to these instructions, the great commission. He's saying, you have to go to people who aren't like you. And they must have just fell to the floor when he said Samaria because there was such great prejudice between the Jews and the Samaritans. And in fact, Jesus himself was at the well one day and a Samaritan woman came up and as he began to talk to her, she stopped him and said, why are you talking to me? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan and I'm a woman and you're a man. And his disciples came up almost like rebuking Jesus, kind of like, hey, what's going on here? But Jesus was all about breaking down barriers. And he was about breaking down not only um, a gender barrier, he was breaking down a prejudice barrier there. And the commissioning, uh, let me, the outpouring of power was to go to people not like you. That's what he was saying here in Acts 1-8 and the Great Commission. And, and it, reconciliation is important because it's a priority of the church. And we already, we already saw this. We saw this in uh, the, the book of Acts when the church was first formed. It was formed as diverse as could possibly be on the planet. It didn't just grow diverse over time. It began as diverse as could possibly be. You read the same scripture I did. Of every language, every people that were there, they were gathered together. The New Testament church was a multicultural expression in the earth. Let me tell you why reconciliation is important because it's a priority of Christ. His last prayer on the earth in John 17 Here's what he prayed. I do not pray for these alone, meaning my disciples right about me. I pray for all those, everyone here and now around him who would believe, for also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, in me and I in you, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe me, believe that you sent me. Uh, it says this in the next one, 22. It says, and the glory which you gave me, I've given them that they may be one just as we are one. Do you hear the heart of Christ? Here's this prayer. I and them and you and me that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved me and loved them as you loved me because we are, they are one with me. The last prayer that Jesus prayed, one with God, one with Jesus. New nature, new identity, new kingdom, new birth, born again. Let me say this, when a person, what we see expressing here is coming into a new you, a new year, a new thing, a new you. We've experienced a new birth, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, how many in Christ here today? Come on, somebody, we can do better. How many in Christ here today? Come on. All right. So based on that response, there's apparently a not who, a lot that who aren't in Christ yet, but you'll have a chance by the end of the service. Amen. All right, there we go. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Old has gone. Old mindsets, old cult cultures, old alliances have gone. The new is here. And all this is from God who reconciled us, brought us together to himself through Christ and gave you and I the ministry of bringing people together, the ministry of reconciliation. So all who are in Christ, you have the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling to the world to himself, bringing the world together as one, not counting people's sins against them, not looking at barriers, not looking at differences, not looking at uh, different ideas and stuff, bringing them all together. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. 
We therefore, as Christ's representative, as Christ's ambassadors, as new believers, new creatures in Christ, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Come into the family of God. God made for him who had no sin. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He made it possible. He made new birth, new thing, new association, new identity possible. See, here's the thing that that scripture means to me. When I become born again, I have a new identity. I identify first with God. I identify first with his kingdom, with his culture. I identify first. All things have been passed away. All things become new. What does that look like for me? Hey, I know I'm a white guy, but I identify in Christ before I identify as a white man. Hey, I identify in Christ before I identify as a preacher. I identify first in Christ before I identify as a husband. I identify in Christ first before I identify as a father. I identify in Christ first. That's my new identity. I may be a white guy, a dad, a preacher, a a husband, all that, but I'm first in Christ. And so my filter, therefore, my filter is in Christ first. First. You have the ability because old things have been passed away, now you're in Christ. A new identity. If you're in Christ, you have a new identity. And it's important for us to understand that. Our identity is not in our race. Our identity is not in our color. It's not denying our color or any of those things. It's not, it's not in our culture. It's not in our gender. It's not in our age. It's not in our financial status. It's a new identity. My identity now shifts to my, my, identity now shifts to my relationship with Christ. You're in Christ, a son and daughter of God. Identity with Christ before anything else. God comes to reconcile all humanity And you and I get to be a part of that. Identifying Christ before identifying a culture. It's not denying anything. It's where you're going to first. Sometimes we get so focused on our culture, we forget who we are in Christ. Okay, so in order to operate and live this way, I know I've gone over, I need to give you these three things. Hang in there. In order to operate and live this way, we're talking about three keys to revival and reconciliation. Three things I see. Number one, prayer. Prayer is the key. You have to be a person of prayer, a church of prayer. If this church wants to move forward in revival and reconciliation, it needs to be a church that prays. Nothing happens without prayer. And I know we're in 21 days of prayer and fasting, but beyond that, we're talking day 22, day 23, day 34, day 178. And here's why, because prayer, I mean, prayer connects us to God, yes, but let me say it this way, in light of the context of our message, prayer is the enemy of pride. Prayer is the enemy of offense. Got real quiet. Prayer is the enemy of self. Prayer makes you dependent upon God. Not on self, not on your group, but on God. Prayer keeps you identified with Christ before culture. It all begins with prayer. And listen, prayer is your foundation in your relationship with God. May I just submit or suggest, if you're having issues in some of these areas, maybe then you need to go back to prayer. Because it's the prayer that brings peace. It's the prayer that removes offense. It's the prayer that does that. And so the more we get stirred up in a different direction, maybe we've gotten away from our prayer life more. And let me say this, and hear my heart in this, and I hope and believe that you have. If you've been here, I think you know my heart. It's prayer before protest. I'm not against protest. I think there are times that we need to stand up for something. But I think if we'll make it a matter of prayer first, we'll find an appropriate way that really does make a difference and bring change. But prayer is the first thing. 
What do we need for revival and reconciliation? Well, let's not go on from prayer yet. Let me give you two scriptures. Ephesians 6.12 says this. Our fight is not against people on earth. Our fight is not against people on earth, but against the rulers and authorities and the powers of this world's darkness, against the spiritual powers of evil in the heavenly world. Listen, you cannot address a spiritual thing in natural ways. You have to address a spiritual thing spiritually. That's why prayer has to be a priority. If we're going to make a change, revival and reconciliation, we can't necessarily address it solely in natural means. It has to be addressed spiritually. Second Chronicles 7, 14 says this, if my people who are called by my name in me will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. People who have a new identity. Amen. Number two. We want to see reconciliation and revival. We need to be a person of prayer. We need to promote, 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 promote. Meaning we have so many things at our disposal they didn't have back in the day to be able to promote reconciliation, to, to be able to promote unity. Unfortunately, we promote what meals we're eating, what we're wearing, we promote. We put, can, I, can I tell you, if we just did less cat memes and did more reconciliation on our, our social media, the world would change. It's always the cat's problem. Cat's always doing it. Cats always causing stuff. I say that jokingly because when I was in India, and you guys, if you've been here, you know my stance on cats. They're, there's all those demonic forces on the earth. And uh, I was in India, and all of a sudden I got this text, this, this picture from India from my youngest daughter, and she had a cat. I came home, she had a cat. And I said, if the cat is living here, then you're moving out. No, I'm just going to say that. Okay, all joking aside, what are the things that we can use social media for that we don't? We need to be aware and conscious of, of, of promoting things. Remember, you're an ambassador. Are you conducting yourself as such? Do you, see, do you see people as Jesus sees them? Let me tell you, Ephesians 4, I need to move on, 29 through 32. When you talk, do not say harmful things, but say what people need, words that will help others become stronger. Then what you say will do good to those who listen to you. And do not make the Holy Spirit sad. The Spirit of God's proof that you belong to him. God gave you the Spirit to show that God will make you free when the final day comes. Do not be bitter or angry or mad on social media. Never shout angrily or say things to hurt others. Never do anything evil. Be kind and loving to each other and forgive each other just as God forgave you. This is what we're to promote as those in Christ. I want to encourage you to write that scripture down and put it by your computer before you send an email, read it. <laughs> before you post something on social media, get it out and read it. It'll change what we do. And number three, let me go on. Number three, the last one. Three things, prayer, promote, and this one, to be proactive. Be proactive. Let me say it this way from a church standpoint. We can't just talk about it. We can't just talk, well, we're going to the march tomorrow and that's good and we should. Well, we got to find more ways. More ways to, to, to not just um, celebrate our diversity, but champion it. We, we got to find more ways to be proactive and, and, and loving on those who aren't like us. I mean, what we do in here is one thing, but what we do out there is greater. Not just waiting for diverse people to come to this church. Go to diverse people and invite them to this church, especially if you don't look like them. I'm a creature of habit, and uh, every Sunday morning, there's a certain restaurant I go to. I leave my house at 7. I get there about 7.10. I sit at the same table in the same seat. I don't even have to order anymore. They just bring me my order. I know that's weird, but it's really, I love, it's comfortable to me, no matter who the waitress is. And so a couple weeks ago, I was in there, 
and there, was, and there was nobody else in there, and a lot of times there's not that early. And a gentleman walked in, a Hispanic, older Hispanic gentleman who sat down in a chair, and then another gentleman who years and years and years ago used to come to this church. Really was a guy that really liked my dad. He was a Vietnam vet, my dad was, and after my dad passed away, he just, he just kind of wandered, and I see him from time to time, and, and so we just kind of waved across the restaurant, hey, how you doing, good. I finished eating, I got up and went to the register to pay, and I thought, you know what, this guy, I haven't seen this guy in a while. Hey, man, he was a friend of my dad's, he used to come in a tree, I'm gonna buy his breakfast. And, and so I told the lady at the counter, I said, I, I wanna pay for mine on this table, and I wanna get this guy's right here. And she said, okay, and all of a sudden while she's ringing it up, I felt really convicted. I thought there's one other man sitting in there all by himself, this older Hispanic gentleman. And he's usually there. And all he ever gets, I can tell you, he gets, this is weird, I don't stalk him, but he gets a, he gets a cup of coffee and a bacon and egg taco every, every time, never changes, I've seen him. And he had a red hat on, and his red hat said, make America loco again. <laughs> I thought that was awesome. I want to ask him where he got the hat. And the ladies at the counter are red shirt, and I said, you know what, hold on a second, before you finish and, and ring it all out, I want to get that man's check too. I want to, I want to pick up his check. And they just were just so excited. They're like, oh my gosh, that's so great. And half the stuff they're saying in Spanish, I don't know what they meant, but they had smiles and stuff on it. And I was just like, see, see. And uh, they, they were just like going and, and, and they, they said, he's just gonna be so blessed and that's so amazing. Why would you do that? And I just said, I just want him to know God loves him and, and all this stuff. He didn't, want, he didn't need to know. I mean, how's he not gonna know, right? And uh, I just, and I thought, you know, he may never know and, and I don't know that how he hasn't, but it meant the world to them. You never know. But you have to be proactive. You have to find those moments and those simple things like a cup of coffee and a taco anonymously that could totally be the difference in that man's life and bringing some restoration, some reconciliation to his heart and life. I don't know what he's been through. I don't know how he's lived. It's a difference making. And let me, and, and let me say this because I think it's important to know. I want to say this if you're a culture that has felt oppressed. Because I... I'm, I'm white. Some people might say white privileged. I, I don't know. I don't even really know all that, what that means, but, but I am white. I don't know what it means to be like another culture. But some, some of you from other cultures, you know what that's like. You know what that's like to grow up. And so let me say this. If you are of a culture that has felt oppressed, don't wait for another culture to make the first move. Don't wait for the other culture to make the first move. It may never happen. But, but be proactive even at the risk of rejection because you never know. But God will honor what you do. So we want to be people of prayer. We want to be people that uh, promote. We want to be proactive and we'll see revival and reconciliation come. And let me close with this. And again, I know I've gone way over and thank you for your patience. Uh, Just give me just a few more moments. Let me say this, Revelation 7, 9 through 10. After the vision of these things, I looked and there was a great number of people, so many that no one could count them. They were from every nation. This is a picture of heaven. They were from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language of the earth. They were all standing before the throne and before the lamb wearing right robes and holding palm branches in their hands. They were shouting in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. They weren't shouting at each other. They were shouting in one voice, one people, one race, the human race before God, shouting and worshiping him. That's a picture of heaven. Listen, can I tell you, when Jesus taught people how to pray, he said, we should pray on earth as it is in heaven. May we not have to wait to see that happen. May it happen right here on the earth, Father God. May we be a church marked by this scripture in Jesus' name. All people, all people. I want 
My wife and I were getting ready to go our annual trip to India, and India has the second, maybe the first largest population on the planet. Masses of humanity anywhere you go. When we fly into India and we get, we're going down these escalators into this big room, huge room of line after line after line full of thousands of people and waiting in line. And when you look to get into that country, customs to get in there, there's these lines that says Indian passports, Indian passports, you know, other country passports. And then it says other country documents and foreigners and all this and that. And you have to wait in the appropriate line. I don't know what we think here on the earth, but you know, when you get to heaven, you're not going to go to a black line, a white line, a Hispanic line, an Asian line. You're not going to go to a a denomination line. You're you're not going to go to any of that. You're not going to go to a rich line, a poor line, an old line, a young line. It's just one line that we're all coming to the same place, worshiping the same God because we're one people. And that's the picture on earth as it is in heaven. On earth, right here, right now. My heart, my hope today as we celebrate what Dr. King stood for and and the need in this country to see some unity and some reconciliation happen was that you would hear and see the word of God. I also hope today to convey my heart and the mission and vision, not just for me as a pastor leading this church, but it's always been the call in this church. I mean, my dad from the onset, when we were five families meeting at home, before we ever met, my dad would pray that we would have a church that would have white people and African-American people and Hispanic people. He prayed that for years and years, and man, if he could look down, he would see the answer to his prayers. But we're not done yet. We're not done yet. That is a call and a mandate on this church. We're not any better, any worse than anybody else. But may this be a church marked by revival and reconciliation. And as we enter this new year, 2020, as we enter this new decade, we will march out in our place and be a part of what God wants to do in this earth We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.